Hello there, dear listener, and welcome to the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. My name is Nico. As usual, I'm joined by my good friends and co-hosts, Sam Harris. And today is a pretty special episode because Sam and I have read our first fiction book of all of the books that we reviewed. And this is our 70th book, and it's the first fiction book. So this one's going to be a special one. We have this template that we try using when we're discussing books. And these templates are made for nonfiction books. So I have no idea what that's going to look like. So Sam and I read The Three-Body Problem written by, and now my terrible accent is going to become clear, Liu Xichin. It's the first of a trilogy called The Three-Body Problem. And it's a Chinese author, originally a Chinese book. I listened to the translation. I think Sam did as well. And yeah, now we're reviewing it. Very quick summary. Set against the backdrop of China's cultural revolution, a secret military project sends signals into space to establish contact with aliens. An alien civilization on the brink of destruction captures the signal and plans to invade Earth. Meanwhile, on Earth, different camps start forming, planning to either welcome the superior beings and help them take over the world, seen as corrupt, or to fight against the invasion. How are you doing, Sam? I'm good. I enjoyed reading the book read it like a few years ago so it's really nice to reread it as you're reading it it's a bit of a mystery that unravels but obviously i knew where it was going so it was quite nice to have a bit more perspective on like why different things were happening and not be so much of like what the hell is going on now i'm so confused the entire time (laughs) like the first time i read it for me it was the other way around because i had no clue what to expect like zero so i was going in fully blind i had heard a lot of good things about these books it was an experience let's say my first point Which made it harder for me to follow the book, which is the book is translated fine, but the names are still the original Chinese names. And so I just noticed that it's very hard for me to use a Chinese name and to remember Chinese names because I have nothing to hang these sounds on. I just found it so much harder than if these names were like Jack and John, because these are names I'm used to, and it's just easier to visualize the name in my head and then the character that is described in the book. Yeah, that's interesting. Because it's still set in China, it sort of makes sense that they're using those names. I didn't find it too bad, because he does do some accents on things, like the most important characters I found easy to identify. Whereas I think I had that problem, but even worse in like the Dune series. I swear, there's just like a bunch of really long, complicated names, and I just had no idea what was going on the entire time. And I tried to read that book three times and was like, I think I'm just really dumb because everyone loves this book and I hate it because I didn't know what's going on. <laughs> so yeah, I didn't have that problem with this book as much, which I, I, I totally relate to the problem you're describing, 100%. I just didn't have it. <laughs> it. It jumps around a bit at the start, I found, which I did like sometimes lose track a bit of what was going on or why I was... Or what time zone we were in. Yeah, I get that. So the book is a sci-fi book and... People love it as a sci-fi book. And the reason for that is that all of the technology that it describes are plausible. There's no like lightsabers and warping at light speed and some of these things that are, with the current understanding of physics, impossible. In the book, things get described and then they seem like they don't make sense. By the way, we're not going to avoid spoilers here, but in the early stages of the book, the main character, no clue what his name is, sees a countdown everywhere he looks on his retina essentially exactly even when he closes his eyes when he's inside and he's like how the fuck is this possible because when he does certain things the countdown stops and then at the end of the book it just actually like a 
plausible explanation for how that actually happened, which is something I, I did really like. In the reviews, a lot of people are saying, like, if you're into science fiction, you might not like it because it's, like, too much science and it's a bit for, like, the geeky physics. But actually, I didn't think it was that, like, exclusive against me. I think, like, normal people can read it and just have their minds blown a little bit, and I think it's okay from a personal viewpoint. It's a confusing read <laughs> in some ways. And lots to hang on in. I would say I'm not enough of a scientist to, like, grasp all of the intricacies. I think there's a lot of science described that already exists. There's science described that doesn't yet exist, but could potentially exist. I'm not a scientist, but I consider myself someone that's like interested in science. And I found myself being on the edge. Like I can understand if you know less of science than I do, of which the, there are some people. I think this becomes a, like a challenging read. It starts sort of like it's not going to be a, that much science fiction. It starts very much just sort of like a very flowery novel, as in like he uses lots of description and stuff and... It just seems like he's setting it in like a world that seems very realistic and normal and it takes a while for anything like too crazy to happen. And then it just gets crazier and crazier with the like logarithmic scales as you go through the book. And you're like, <laughs> my mind hurts. At the end, they're unfolding protons to the 11th dimension. So they are essentially the size of like a planet. And at that point, I was kind of like almost phasing out. I found that interesting. But a bit too much. What do you think? I did feel like some of that bit was did get a little bit unrealistic. It certainly tied up some of the explanations of other things, but it didn't seem quite that feasible the way it happened. But the few kind of laws within the book that are meant to be magic, it sort of ties into that. But it definitely felt like it does lay the ground for like perhaps some different philosophical things that we can talk about, which I guess is the point because if we're not going to just tell you exactly what happens in the book because it's written to be a book that you read rather than hear a summary of. So if you've read it, or if you haven't read it, hopefully we can discuss some things from philosophy that it maybe brings up that would be interesting. You have some thoughts, and I, I also have some thoughts. Let me go first, if that's okay with you. Sure. Quite in the beginning, again, spoiler alert, the main character has a countdown on his retina, and everywhere he looks, because there's a group that's trying to stop him from furthering his research on technology. So he's a nanoscientist and he's doing research in nanomaterials. And the alien civilization has realized that this deep research in the essence of matter is one of the key types of research that propels civilizations forward in a large amount. And so they are trying to stop scientists from progressing their research. And, you know, one of the big things that are happening in the world in the beginning of the book is that a lot of big scientists are actually committing suicide. And so essentially the way in which an alien civilization is trying to stop or conquer or defeat Earth is by slowing down its process and its research process. And it's doing that by one, killing scientists and essentially framing science as a bad thing. And stopping them from being able to make experiments. So things like the Large Hadron Collider and like the stuff that really pushes the edge of what we know about science, like all those kind of experiments get like thwarted is like the, how they're kind of stopping us progressing and being able to build like better CPUs and make AI and all this kind of stuff. Do you feel like today there is a sort of distrust in science at some point? And I, I feel like this kind of goes hand in hand with our reading of false alarm about climate criticism yeah on the one hand there's 
general distrust in sciences and people that kind of say things that they don't want to agree with themselves or feel like they're being told what to do. And also, I think some of the scientists sometimes are being biased. Also, that scientists don't always know what they're doing in terms of building AI and stuff. And actually, perhaps it's like a separate argument was maybe we are building something that could also kill us if we have like a general artificial intelligence. And there's some people out there that are being like, hey, we need to like literally bomb all the major server clusters of high power GPUs on the planet to just stop any technical innovation ourselves. So it's actually some like people out there in the current world trying to like ideally do the exact same thing because we don't really know where we're going with that stuff and we can do some things and then the book it talks about the dangers of actually just contacting other worlds and there's a whole section around like broadcasting to the universe and then that's how like other alien civilizations might find us and the dangers of actually detecting other life out there it might be a lot more advanced than us and it might be seeking a place for a home and it might come and destroy us before we continue our philosophical debates, I would say one very cool part in the book that I really liked on the technology side. So we already said that the main character is a researcher. I would say he's probably leading the research, the field when it comes to nanotechnologies. And they essentially use nanotechnologies to make very thin, super strong ropes to essentially slice a ship from front to back, which... I found brilliant and horrifying and fascinating all at once. And I really, really like that part and, and that example. It's definitely like a memorable event. And you're like, crikey, <laughs> this could totally work in, some way, in many ways. It's so weird to think about, right? Where a material is so thin, it can just like, without any resistance, slice through a whole like freaking big ship. So obviously... The in the story, it says like, it actually just breaks everything, but you're almost thinking, like, would it almost break something and then it instantly just rebonds on the other side? Because it's only one atom that's slicing through it the whole time. Is it one atom thick? I thought it was an atom thick. I thought it was a few, because I think an, an atom is still way thinner than a nanometer, and so I think it was just like a nanometer thick, which is like a hundredth of a, of a hair or something. I'm not sure. It could be that you're right. Anyway. Good. That was cool. Yeah, either way, stuff that people can just walk through and slice themselves in half is pretty cool, if not a bit gross. And yes, was there something you wanted to discuss on this, like how we would use this technology? Uh, I guess one of the points that it makes is that this is technology that could potentially be used to build space elevators, which I think is one of the key ways to build a, probably like an alien defense system, right? Where you actually like have war with extraterrestrial civilizations versus internal anyway it didn't explore that the book which i don't know would have found cool and maybe it's actually happens in the next books i have no idea it is kind of worth reading in some ways i actually looked up and out of the three books the first one has the lowest average i score. think it's a bit self-selecting like people that didn't like that wouldn't go and read the rest in some ways but also i feel like i do feel like the second book it kind of got going a bit more as in like I did feel like the first half of this book was longer than I thought because I basically went over the second book straight away. And I thought, yeah, sure. Anyway, on the subject of space technology, did you see that Virgin Space just collapsed? No. That's the British with Richard Branson building space rockets to get space into administration. And I'm not sure how Blue Origin's doing, but I'm not sure what useful stuff they've done with Bezos, but it always felt like SpaceX was doing something much more sensible than those two. I have no idea. I haven't been following it. I feel like we might have talked about this, but 
out of all the people going to Mars, like how would you like to be going to Mars? And you could be the first, you could be the 1,000th, you could be the 1 million. So you mean which one would I like to be in the number of people that get that? Yeah, in line. Millionth seems like kind of safe enough by then, perhaps. That says a lot about you, Sam. Not very adventurous. Yeah, as, as, yeah <laughs> I mean, I've kind of been thinking, really, I'd be pretty damn cool in some ways just to go. I can make an insane vlog about that. Yeah, that would be some of the most famous people ever to have lived, especially on Mars. But also it might be kind of boring after a while. In terms of if you get there, it'd be crazy, crazy, and then it would be very repetitive and a bit like being in prison for a long time. And depends on what you actually value in terms of happiness and life and how much you prefer uh, longevity. What's the um, the idea that everyone remembers you after you die? How much you prefer that over legacy, over actual enjoyment in the process? Yeah, like no one thought Van Gogh was any good at anything until long after he was dead kind of thing like he probably had a shit life even if we like him now what does it matter to him so yeah in that sense maybe it'd be nicer to join once there's a bit of civilization going things that'd be cool to I think even if you get to like maybe even the thousands they've probably got pretty good systems for like coming back by then <laughs> so actually you can go hang out for a bit and come back That's a little holiday yeah yeah a holiday underground on Mars so I think Life on Mars is strictly worse than life on Earth, unless we all need to go to Mars because Earth has become uninhabitable. And I'm actually pretty sure that Earth, like in worst, in a worst case scenario, like during the worst ice age or whatever that could happen, it's probably still more inhabitable, like by a factor of a hundred than Mars is. And so I would say that. I would want to go to Mars if that's the only thing that would make sense and if that's the best strategy for survival. And at that point, I think how many people will have gone to Mars? And I think the number is probably like around a million, I would say. A million to 10 million. Because I don't think that we'll ever build enough space on Mars and all the facilities needed to take care of tens of millions and hundreds of millions of people there. It just doesn't make sense, it seems like. So, you know, between 1 and 10 million, I think it feels like I'd be the one that would take the second to last big-ass spaceship off Earth just before the asteroid hits us and Earth gets destroyed. And I don't want to take the last because that's too scary. So The speed that a population can grow in things, considering still like a few thousand years before like Mars becomes large, but still like gets the size of like a small country pretty quickly, I guess, if we're sending lots of people. But now we're still talking like hundreds of years that don't really relate to our lives at all in terms of just number of spaceships that we can send is a different factor for sure but if it's in like 50 years time and we've got like crazy energy production technologies things can be different surprisingly unexplored as was computer science in this book yeah en energy science and computer science Sam still didn't talk a lot about like AI if I remember which you think seems kind of fundamental in terms of the bits that like sparked my imagination where I'm like really picturing something the most, the bit with the boat that you described in the wire was one bit where like there was just like a very like movie happening in your mind. I think the other bit was like the computer board where he talks about like using humans to build an entire transistor just with like them running around. Yes. Oh, I said there was not a lot of computer science. That was amazing. So there's a chapter it was like, you just can imagine this whole thing happening. You're like, whoa, <laughs> which... Maybe you can describe better <laughs> than me. Yes. So essentially what they did was that they had no electricity. 
but they needed to increase their computing power. And essentially what they did was they recreated a computer out of humans. And humans were essentially transistors. Yeah. And three humans together would be able to make an, um, an AND gate. Three humans together would be able to make an OR gate. And if you pair millions of humans together that work super efficiently without faults, you can actually, by combining all of these gates in very intricate manners, which is essentially what happens inside of a computer right now, you can recreate a very simple computer, like maybe a calculator. That was just really well described where, you know, it's just a bunch of soldiers perfectly trained that know exactly what they do, can do it really fast. And that all together, essentially, it's a really interesting way of just describing the principle of a computer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I find it like sort of almost more clear than anything I would listened to before, <laughs> even though I'm sure there may be the odd flaw in it or something. But obviously, also the whole speed is another factor, but it was still kind of nuts and kind of really cool because they kind of ex- they explain it to someone that doesn't understand computers around why they're doing this and stuff. So it really like was a really nice way of doing it so that you get to understand yourself without feeling too stupid. And yeah, that was something that really like, I just pictured myself standing on a mountain and looking down at like an army of people waving their flags, being different transistors. And I'm totally imagining this moment right now. It'd be fascinating to do that as an experiment. Oh, it'd be so slow in real life though. <laughs> How many people you'd need. But it'd still be really cool. I'm sure you could probably find like a 100,000 people that'd be willing to go to a festival and do something dumb like that for an hour just to try it. But the problem is that if they want to go to a festival, then they won't have the willingness to one stand still and two, you know, they'll probably be on drugs and not be able to do like uh, the end of binary operations. <laughs> That's supposed to be being stupid or just a bunch of computer scientists doing something. I'm looking to go to an event called Eve Fest which is essentially the yearly convention around EVE Online, which is this huge space MMO with deep open economy. It happens in Reykjavik, Iceland. This feels like a place where there's not 100,000 people there, unfortunately, but these people would probably be down to do something like that. That's cool. I have a philosophical tangent that I'd like to explore before we call this an episode, and that is that you essentially have these two civilizations. One is the human race, and two is this Trisolaran civilization, it's a name, sorry for spoilers. And Trisolaris basically has these cycles of times that are good and then times that are super chaotic. And essentially, like, temperatures can swing from minus 50 degrees Celsius to plus 80 degrees Celsius in one night. And so the planet at that point becomes inhospitable and essentially, like, almost everyone dies. And they found this technique of dehydrating which increases their, you know, chance of survival and stuff like that. It's, it's really interesting. And so essentially you have us on Earth who have the most moderate climates you can imagine, almost, or at least compared to the Trisolaran climates. And then you have the Trisolarans who are struggling to survive and having to find a way to figure their shit out because the next day could suddenly become an ice age followed by like volcanic temperatures. And so the result of that is essentially humans that are as we are today, which is soft, lazy, and slow, and focused on the good things in life instead of survival. And then you have the Trisolarans, who are extremely motivated, extremely shrewd, and they care way less about themselves than they care about the survival of their species, essentially. And Sam and I are now reading the book Changing World Order by Redalio, which also describes the decline or like the, the rise and decline of empires. 
And it's a bit of a similar observation where if times are good, people become lazy, focus on the wrong things, which inevitably leads to times that are bad. And, and so it's this kind of cycle. Yeah. It's my observation. And I see this coming back quite often. Is this, is this a, like a, a rule of life? Yeah. There's like the classic hard times make hard people, hard people make good times or easy times, easy times make soft people kind of thing. Soft times, soft people make hard times, etc. Um, quote that I've totally murdered. <laughs> it's strong people, good times, good times, weak people, weak people, hard times. And then, yeah, that's, that's why I didn't want I had, but yes, definitely with the stuff with Ray Dalio, he actually sort of talks it's like, it's like a little bit longer as a part to do with the generations, but also to do with just the way the economic system of like building debt to grow your economy is. And also the way that like the wealth accumulates in the rich sort of builds a lot more distrust between people and other things in politics. There's quite a few different factors going on <laughs> all at once that he's referring to. But I do think that there's just like a cyclical nature of just things being easy and then getting a bit chaotic because of you sort of lose the ball and you have to like put it back together again in different ways. The question that I get, and sorry to interrupt you, and maybe we should ask ourselves this question probably more relevant to to answer this question next week or like the next time we do this review because I'm going to need more than a week to finish that book because it's long is what could you do as a leader to try to stop that cycle essentially and to maybe either keep things hard and tough and maybe that's the only way or keep people strong and don't let things get too easy essentially well there's the same question for like as a parent if you are successful and rich like how do you do that because countless examples of people who are very successful and then like their kids fudged all their wealth away but going higher to like leaders and like understanding the ways that power is lost and how things fall apart in a society when it comes to people just wanting more things and using debt to get it people becoming more divided as a society and yeah keeping technology and stuff because america still does have a lot of strengths in some ways but equally, you can just see it setting itself up for problems in terms of just amount of like infighting in America and just like <laughs> Trump stuff <laughs> and just everyone hating each other. And also just rise of like TikTok and the younger generations not even wanting to do anything like work and just want to be influencers and stuff is again an area where you're like, okay, people are becoming more softer. They're very, very much entitlement to a nice life as opposed to working hard for it and things. Just lots of stuff within the culture that affects. I feel that like we've got a bit of a hard tangent from like the book, but that, that's also fine. What do you think you could do as a leader? Because I'm not sure how you can stop people from always wanting like something slightly more and that people never want to have a backward step. They only want to like things to stay the same and get better in the areas that they want to get better. I don't have an answer. But if you look at the book, you know, it describes the Trisalorin system where, you know, the moment you don't have use anymore, you essentially like get burnt. You just get killed. There's no use anymore for you. You're too old or whatever. So, yeah. And apparently Netflix was a bit like that as a culture. As in like, you do your job and if you start to outgrow your job or whatever, you, you just and just don't take it personally. Here for like a thing. I think many of these top tier consulting firms also have this up and out strategy. So you get in and either you grow through the ranks every two years and then you're a partner and then whatever, or you go and find something else and then they take in new young people to you know, work 10 hours a day, six days a week. Yeah, interesting. Maybe that's the solution. 
maybe slightly more authoritarian regimes for how you lead your companies or countries do make sense. Maybe not. So <laughs> <laughs> the guy in, in the red shirt. <laughs> Lordy. Good. Any final thoughts around the book for you? I think it was a nice way to get a bit out of your head or a bit out of like the concept of just the world and our own importance and think a bit more about like the rest of the universe and other species and also just have some like crazy different concepts that you haven't even thought of when it comes to science and stuff going on as well. I think also help the like concept that you don't know everything because of as humans we very much think that what we know is what we know and is, is useful and it's just it was like it was quite a humbling book to read in that sense and useful for me at least yeah i don't know how to rate this one in terms of you know would i recommend this i found it to be honest slightly overhyped or quite a few people recommend this book and saying it was crazy good but yeah i'm, I'm happy to have read it and i'm looking forward to reading the rest but i feel like i've read books that I liked more, even fiction books. It's hard to say because I obviously read it before, but I do feel like when I read it five or six years ago, it felt better in terms of like, it felt a bit more dated when I read it this time. And I feel like some things have sort of come to be that make it seem not quite as like edge breaking or whatever as it was when it first came out. One final observation, and this is not about the book, you know, I work in the gaming industry. And so when it comes to massive multiplayer online worlds, there's generally two paths. One is the science fiction Star Wars style path. And one is the medieval fantasy, you know, Lord of the Rings style direction. And I've always preferred the Lord of the Rings style fantasy world. So, you know, I prefer to play Skyrim over Cyberpunk 2077, for example. And so maybe that's also one of the reasons why this book didn't massively speak to me. I've read a lot of fantasy in my days and I, I always you know, really enjoyed that. So that might be just a, a me thing. Yeah, sure. I hadn't been saying, I've already forgotten what it is. Good. Have you read Name of the Wind in terms of fantasy? It's a really good book. Um, no, but I have read Wheel of Time and a bunch of others. I found it really slow. Yeah, yeah. I kind of got a bit bored about book five or six. I was reading a different series at the same time I actually preferred. Um, I think Sword of Truth, I preferred that, but most people seem to prefer book. Dude, time. that was my far my favorite. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Maybe this is why we like reading a book club together. I was like, why aren't people talking about this? This is so much better than Wheel of Time. <laughs> that was amazing. Fuck, think about it a lot. Like, But these are big books, and there's a ton of them. You're like 14 or something. Anyway, I'm down to do that at some point. Anyway, next episode, Sam and I, as already mentioned, are reading Changing World Order by Redalio. Principles or principles for a changing world order? The changing world order, why nations succeed or fail. There we go. Thank you. My pleasure. Good. Maybe final ratings for this one? I'd say eight, eight and a half, personally. I'm going to give it a six. Yeah, entertaining. I also, I just haven't, don't think I've been reading enough fiction lately, so it was nice to get a bit out of my head again. That's true. Good. Yeah, well, there's probably lots of other fiction. Anyway, thank you for listening. <laughs> we'll shut up now. And yeah, yeah. if you like this and you want us to read more fiction books, seems like we're down. So uh, feel free to let us know. Yeah, I think we could build a better framework for discussing fiction. With Maybe. Although I like this one. So That's cool. good. All right. With that, we are out and we look forward to speaking to you in the next episode. Ciao.